Hey, ladies, welcome back to the Declare Podcast. I am your host, Ann Watson, and I'm so excited about my guest today. She is a recognized expert in all things Christian communicators, and we need to know what she is talking about. Today, we're talking a lot about healthy friendships and what to do if we don't already have them. Before we get to that, though, I want to let you know that Declare just wrapped up our annual conference and God showed up. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and use your social media and search the hashtags WeAreDeclare and DeclareWarrior and find out what our community is saying. Not just because I want you to love Declare, but because our community is so good at putting out the best tidbits, the biggest things that they learned, great quotes from our speakers. So if you are not able to attend Declare this year, you can still get some of our juiciest nuggets when you search those two hashtags. I just really want to encourage you to do that. And of course, I want to take one more second to thank the attendees and sponsors and speakers and volunteers because Declare was amazing because of the hard work and effort that they all put in. And I just cannot thank them enough. So if you have not yet gone to our website and signed up to get our emails, I want to encourage you to do that right now. We have already announced our theme for next year, which is Get Your Hopes Up. And we are so excited about it. And we are working hard on the event already. So if you want to be notified first when tickets go on sale, you got to be on the email list. And don't worry, we don't do spam. But also, if you want to stay connected to our online community to declare like all throughout the year, then go join the Facebook group. It's an active, ongoing, year-round resource for Christian communicators just like you. It's also a really great place to get information about upcoming local Connect events and equip classes, as well as a great place for you to ask your communicator questions, get ideas, and make friends. I'll throw a link in the show notes so that you don't miss it. I'll make it as easy as possible. In our last episode, I got to talk with Krista Hutchins. So Krista is a professional project planner, and she is all about helping us Christian communicators get our acts together. In that conversation, we talked about the four type of people every leader needs, the four biggest struggles that every Christian communicator has, how to stay accountable, and the red flags to watch for before you put your money into a training program. You guys, it's so good because if you're anything like me, then you're spending a bunch of your money trying to sign up for training so that you can learn. And she tells you how to know which ones are good. She also has a bunch of resources on her website of ones that she has already vetted. And we talk about on this episode, the results of the online Christian creative survey that she does. So this is you know, a poll of Christian creatives, just like you and me, and kind of what our biggest struggles are and what we need the most. So you're going to love this episode. It's number 89. Make sure you add that to your queue. But I'm really excited because today we're on episode 90 with Mary DeMuth. So Mary is all about infusing people with hope. And she is the author of the brand new book, The Seven Deadly Friendships. And we're going to get into that today. We also talk about friendship breakup recovery, triggers, patterns in friendship, what to do when you're dealing with a narcissistic or predatory person, and a whole lot more. We even talk about a couple of rabbis fighting. We also talk about writing and telling the truth and admitting that you are tired. It is so good. I just cannot wait for you to hear it. So without further ado, let's just go ahead and get started with my conversation with Mary DeMuth. Hey, Mary, welcome to the Declare Podcast. How are you? I am doing great. And thank you so much for having me on. I so appreciate it. And I love Declare. You guys do an amazing job at conferences and all throughout the year. Oh, you're so sweet. We love doing it. And I know that you've actually been a Declare speaker in the past. And, you know, one of these days we're going to get you back. 
I would love that. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Well, okay. So I have learned a little bit about you. I didn't know a ton about you, but the Declare Girls are huge fans. They're like, you've got to talk to Mary. And so I started doing some research and ended up on the launch team for your book, (laughs) The Seven Deadly Friendships, which has been so fun. And I'm so excited for this interview. But before we start going down all those rabbit trails, I would love if you just take a couple minutes and tell us a little bit about you and your story and maybe a little bit about how you ended up where you are now. Yeah, so um, I have been walking around on the earth quite some time, several decades now, and I've got three kids who are out of the house and adults and a husband of 28 years almost and uh, grew up in a difficult environment uh, with a family with sexual abuse and death of a parent and neglect and all those kinds of things and didn't meet Jesus until I was 15 which was such a beautiful rescue mission for me because I was very desperate and very sad, as you can imagine, after having a traumatic childhood. Oh, yeah. But uh, And I'd love to be able to say, and then I met Jesus and everything was perfect from then on. But uh, that began my healing journey. And part of that healing journey involved writing. And so this book that is releasing right now, uh, right around this time, uh, is uh, my 36th book. And uh, I have found that every book that I have written has been something that God has used to heal my heart. And so even if no one buys the book, it's been really beneficial to me. So I'm really grateful for how God weirdly does that. It's really cool. 36 books. So what you're saying is you're a slacker. I'm totally a slacker. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I am just teasing, but laugh at that. (laughs) I mean, wow, that's incredible. But I feel like I really understand what you're saying, because writing is so cathartic. It is. And this one in particular was pretty, um, I'm feeling a little scared about it being out there in the world, honestly, because I had to talk about my own failures in friendship and my own friendship breakups. And that's just a really tender area. And we don't like to talk about that publicly very often. So I'm feeling a little raw, but I do that because I think people need to know they're not alone in their own relational struggles. And so I'll take one for the team, not to give me any glory or anything, but God has done so much that I'll take one for the team for the sake of other people to know they're not alone. I love that. And I, for one, am so grateful that you're doing that. But I want to ask you, with this being your 36th book, and you're said that you're kind of feeling a little exposed with putting this one out. What about the, you know, previous 35 books? Have you had that feeling before? <laughs> I mean, are you not feeling like you're exposing yourself with all of them or what what's the difference? Yeah, so there's a a couple particular ones where I was very exposed where I had this kind of similar feeling. One was my memoir Thin Places, which is probably my most vulnerable vulnerable book. And then a book called Not Marked, which is about healing from sexual abuse. But I also felt pretty raw when I released a lot of my fiction. I also am a novelist. And because a lot of your heart, even though you're not the characters, and even though these are, you know, this random story that has nothing to do with you, there's still a lot of you in the pages of fiction as well. So I've battled it a couple times and just um, circling back around to it again. So how do you push through it then? I would love to know what kind of advice you would give for somebody who's (laughs) maybe wanting to release a book or about to, and they're feeling that way. 
Yeah, a lot of prayer and um, good people around you. And I will say, you know, I wrote this book about difficult friendships, but I have some really great friends and I've got a mastermind group and I've got a praying circle of people who pray for me and having folks around you who can speak into your life and encourage you is really oftentimes a step you need, which is why you guys have the Declare community. You can go to your tribe and say, hey, I'm really scared. I think a lot of people are afraid to tell the truth. They're kind of waiting for their parents to die to be able to do so. Or, you know, (laughs) I've heard that from lots of people. In fact, I got an email today from someone that said, my mom just died. I can finally tell my story. So it's a really tender topic and it's hard to be really honest in a winsome way and not in an accusatory way. You've got to have some space from the pain before you can write about it because otherwise you'll end up vomiting on your audience and that's never helpful for anybody. I totally understand what you just said because, you know, I think all of us come out of childhood with some form of baggage, some more severe than others, whatever it may be. But of course, I have some too. And both of my parents are now gone. But after my dad passed just a couple of months ago, I had this feeling like I suddenly had the green light to go ahead and start writing. Yeah, that's a pretty common. And because um, we want to, of course, we want to honor our parents. And I had to work through that as well, because I write a lot about past relationships and family relationships. And, you know, everybody has a different path and God's going to bring you on a different path than anybody else. But for me, the Lord said, if everybody waits <laughs> till their parents die to talk about these things, then there won't be anyone to mentor the next generation. And so I, for me personally, I was like, okay, well, I will, this is going to be hard, but I'm going to go ahead and do this. And oddly and beautifully, it has not ruined my relationships with my family members. In fact, it's weirdly enhanced it. So I'm grateful for that, but it was certainly scary and um, not an easy thing to do. What a gift though, that that has brought you closer to your family. It can't be easy, you know, it can't be easy for you to write it for you to let them know you're writing it and for them to hear it or read it. Like, I just think all around that could be awkward. So obviously, that's the hand of God on that, that healing in your family and that just ability to stay close. That's so incredible. I love that. Yeah, well, it didn't start that way. (laughs) It's ended that way. But yeah, it was super awkward in the middle of it and painful and all sorts of words flying back and forth. But in the long run, telling the truth did not hurt it. Uh, In the moment, it did. But in the long run, it did not. And so I think that's the key in writing when you're speaking the truth in love or writing the truth in love. There has to be that winsome element of I'm wrong or I could be wrong or this is my impression, but they may have thought something else, you know, just to be really tender with the way that you handle it. Well, and that's difficult, too, because people remember things differently than you do. Right. (laughs) You could ask your sibling about the same story and you both would remember it completely differently. Yeah. So how do you, you know, kind of work through that? Yeah. So when I teach about writing memoir, that's one of the first things I say, I say, you know what, you get to have your story, you get to own your story. And your job is to tell it as accurately as you possibly can with your memory and your knowledge. And there might be naysayers, or there might be people that say things are different, but you get to have your story. And the rub is breaking through that artistic stress of getting it onto the page. But once you do, there's a a level of freedom that comes. Oh, absolutely. You know, I love that. And I love what you're saying about you have to 
write your story. And you are actually really big about writing your story and getting it out there because it's so unique to whoever's writing it. That's something that you have actually had as a theme, I feel like, for a very, very long time. Yeah, I've often told audiences that an untold story never heals and that the first step in healing is finding a safe person to tell your story to. Now, I didn't necessarily do that. I found every person to tell my story to, Okay, some of which were, were safe and some of which weren't. But um, thankfully, I ended up with a bunch of safe people in college and they began to pray for me. And a lot of really good healing happened during that time because I just had so much inside of me. I had to let it out. It had to fly in the light of day. And I had to have other people help me interpret it because I it was so stuck in me for so long that it was killing me. And I needed a, um, an outlet. I needed to let it out to save people. I so identify with that idea of it's just killing you inside of you. It's like it festers if you just keep it in. I think that's why Jesus talks about bringing these kinds of things into the light so that they can be dealt with. Exactly. And that's kind of the the crux of most of everything that I write is that's, you know, the uh, centrality of what I write is telling the truth and in, in a way that invites conversation and uh, infuses people with hope. Oh, I love that. Yes, infusing with hope. That's exactly what I think all of us want to do when we're writing our stories or we're writing whatever God has put on our heart. But I love the way that you phrase that, infusing with hope, because I feel like that's the mission. That's so clean. I love it. And that's the difference between writing after you've had significant healing and writing when you're in the middle of the raw story. I can write with redemption uh, when I have had that significant amount of healing. And uh, otherwise, it's just catharsis for my own sake, which is a great thing to do in your journal. But it's not really there ready for public consumption. I had a woman who had just recently or she uh, had been through a divorce and she said, I'm writing this book on divorce. And I said, well, how long has it been since you've you know, signed those papers? And she's like, last week. <laughs> like, well, um, you might want to get a little more perspective before you put that on the page for other people to read. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. But that makes me laugh because I remember a quote from Anne Lamott who says that anybody who wanted to be written about differently should have behaved better. <laughs> yes, exactly. I know that is very true. I love that quote. It is so fun. I love it. Okay, but I want to go back to the seven deadly friendships because not only do I think that this is such a hot topic right now, I think that it's particularly interesting in the Christian community because I feel like there's becoming a lot of division, like maybe a different veins of division throughout the Christian community. I know that in one way you talk about not really liking Christian celebrity and just building friendships with other Christians, but then getting hurt by the church. And then there's these Christian breakups and friend breakups and and I just feel like more and more people that I know are opting to sort of isolate themselves because they don't feel safe. And I just would love to talk to you about your book and how that is intersecting in our culture today. That's a terrific question. And I, I feel like because of social media and how megaphony we've become, um, <laughs> just made that word up. Uh, I love it. But, I'm writing it down. You know, that we have 
a couple things going on here. One is one thing I learned when I lived in France, I was a, my husband and I and kids were church planters in France in the mid two thousands. And we could go to someone's house and have dinner and completely disagree around the dinner table. But we would always leave as friends and we would kiss each other's cheek and walk away. And that just does not happen in America. And I thought about it a really long time. And I realized that in America, we need a winner and a loser. And therefore, if I'm touting an opinion on social media and someone else has a different opinion, then that means one of us has to be a winner and one of us has to be a loser. And so I'm going to spend, if I'm insecure, I'm going to spend my time yelling or shouting at people that have a different opinion from me so that I can feel secure in my opinion, because my security is based on all my right opinions. And so therefore, if someone has a different opinion, it threatens me. And so that's kind of what I see going on. And because social media is so virulent and because we don't see the people behind the pixels, we are causing a terrible storm of breakups in the Christian community. Now, I have friends who completely disagree with me on many things, but we are still, through the, the grace of God, we still love each other. That, I think, is what the body of Christ is supposed to be, but we are so so divided. And we are so virulently angry that it is causing us to want to retreat, like you mentioned. Absolutely. And I've seen it kind of in a whole bunch of different circles, but basically all of it is in the Christian community. And I'm wondering if there's a part that kind of goes along with the seven deadly friendships. Are we just connecting with the wrong people Or is it like you're kind of saying that it's really cultural and pixelated because we are behind a screen and it doesn't seem as hurtful if you're not standing face to face to somebody? Right. And that, you know, that gels well with my analogy of going to someone's table in France. Uh, There was a a guy who was just being awful to me on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, I was tempted to retaliate. And then I was like, you know what, this is not helpful. I'm not going to retaliate. So what I said instead was, you know what, if you ever are in the Dallas area, because I live in the Dallas Fort Worth area, and you and your wife would like to come over for dinner, I think we'd actually have a really great conversation. And I think that's what's missing. We're not talking to each other face to face anymore. And when we are together, we're looking at our phones and we're not dignifying the other human being made in the image of God standing across from us. And that has got to change. Our distracted world has got to change. We've got to add more Sabbath. We've got to add more connection. And it's really hard to be virulently mean to someone who's standing across from you. I agree with you because there's almost more accountability uh, when you're doing that. I was actually reading something this morning about rabbis many, many years ago, you know, several decades ago, and how they love to argue over scripture. In fact, when I was in Israel a couple of years ago, our tour guide said that for them, debating over scripture is fun. And there's this one story of a man who used to continuously fight with another rabbi. These two rabbis would go at it. And then one of them passed away and the other one was devastated. And someone asked him why. And he said, because I've lost my sparring partner. Mm. I just feel like right now when people get into a fight, somehow they're thinking that that's signaling the end of the friendship and that it's letting them know that if you don't agree on something, you can't be friends. And yet that's so wrong. 
Well, and I think a part of that too, is we're not opening our eyes to the global body of Christ. So what can we learn from someone in um, Zimbabwe? You know, we're, we're just so isolated here. We don't even realize that there are other perspectives on Christianity that are, you know, cultural or whatever, but um, people are following Jesus in all over the world. And we have lost their voice too, because we've become very narrow in our own um, American evangelical view of things. I would just love to take everybody overseas just to have conversations, not to, you know, try to change the world, but just to have conversations with people to see where people really are. Oh, I'm so with you. I feel so much like conversations are what's needed, that if you disagree with someone, instead of posting some blog post, you know, about why they're wrong and why everybody should hate them, invite them into a conversation and say, listen, I don't think I agree with you. But I would love to talk to you to see if I can try to understand why you think the way you do. But let's preface that with, I may leave this conversation still not agreeing with you, mm-hmm. but the opportunity to have a conversation to understand someone rather than just condemn them, I think is so precious. Well, and and look back on your own life. I look at me in my 20s and I don't agree with that Mary at all. So True. we're all on we're all on a process and if I can give that Mary some grace, why can't I give my friends the same grace? Well, exactly. And that makes me think of Jesus and the adulterous woman when he says, "You who is without sin, cast the first stone," and no one does. Nobody throws a stone. Right, because they know. <laughs> yeah, they know. They know. Exactly. <laughs> and I think I just feel like we need to remember that here. But let's bring it back to the seven deadly friendships, because I feel like women struggling in the friendship areas is one of the least talked about things that I have come across. And yet in the more private conversations, I know there are tons of women that are dealing with it. And so I would just love to hear, you know, in your research, kind of what did you find and how do we have a healthy relationship? Like what does a healthy relationship even look like? Yeah. So I was, I have reeled in the aftermath of a couple really hard friendship breakups and these were long-term friends and devastated. And I realized that there were all sorts of divorce recovery books out there, which is important, but there was no friendship breakup recovery book. And um, you're right. I would have those private conversations with close friends about the devastation of it all, but I couldn't get over it. It's taken me years to work through the pain of the betrayal of a close friend. And there's also this really terrible vulnerability hangover that happens afterwards where you realize you've told your story, you've shared your heart, you've bared your soul in a very authentic, vulnerable way. And now it's just out there floating Uh, You don't know if the other person is gossiping about you. You don't know if they, you know, how they're doing. You're not in contact with them anymore. And it is devastating. But to answer your question, how do we have good friendships? I think that's the reason I wrote the book was that I wanted to help people understand the dynamics of some unhealthy friendships that they've had in order to become a better friend And I also would like to say that these seven deadly friendships, I don't just say, well, all the people outside of you are the seven deadly friendships and you are the awesome angel that never does anything wrong. Uh, What? (laughs) Uh -uh. I know, right? (laughs) 
I, in writing this, I realized I can be any one of these people at particular times in my life. And so just learning to go to the Lord and to repent and to look at my own life and to become self-aware and to go back to people and apologize. I mean, that's just part of this whole thing is to be self-aware and to understand also that we can have these tendencies too. It's not just everybody else outside of ourselves. Well, you know, it's funny that you say that because part of my story is I was really bullied significantly when I was a sophomore in high school. Mm-hmm. And I was bullied by the popular kids. Ouch. So yeah, well, and I was actually a cheerleader. So I was kind of part of that crowd, you would think, but I was so not part of that crowd. And they made sure that I knew it. But what I thought was so interesting is that One of the things that I feel like I learned incorrectly was that in order to be popular, you need to be critical of other people openly. And so there was a time when I felt like if I did that, then I would become popular or at least stop the criticism against me. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that's that is the lesson that I am finally learning that when you encounter somebody who constantly talks negatively about other people, it's time to run away. (laughs) Cause I've had some friendships like that. Just to be super honest, I've had friendships where the friendship really was gossiping about other people. And I am so sad and broken by that. But the sad other sad part of that is if you're in a relationship with someone that does that, or you are someone that does that, eventually the other person is going to make you mad or uh, you're going to make them mad and they're going to do that exact same thing to you. And so I've learned now that uh, to really watch and to be cautious of someone who constantly says negative things about other people, it's a sign for me to just back away and not engage because um, in order to protect my heart and to protect, you know, maybe my tendency to want to do that too, because you're right. When you talk about people, it's kind of exciting and, you know, you could be better than them and, oh, they're so much worse than you and you feel better about yourself and none of that's godly at all. It's all bad, but um, we do do it and it's it's time for us to begin the arduous task of repenting about that. Well, absolutely. And I do think there's like that element of the C.S. Lewis quote that says friendship starts when one of you says, oh, you too, I thought I was the only one. And mm-hmm. I think when you're, when two people are sitting there talking poorly about someone else, you start to feel that connection, like, oh, we must be friends. But you're absolutely right. Because time and again, if that person is doing that to someone else, they're going to do it to you too. They are. And that's been hard for me looking back over uh, one particular relationship. I, I realize now that um, that was really the central part of our relationship. And I, I say that with shame and with with sadness, because that doesn't reflect well on me. And I'm just, I'm much more cautious about that now. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful for what I learned, but it was a really hard lesson to learn. Well, I've learned that lesson as well a couple of times. And one of the things that you talk about in your book that I thought was so interesting and was so eye-opening for me is that there are patterns. There's patterns in the way that we behave and the way that we select our friends. I'm wondering if you could talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So One of the reasons I wrote this book, there's lots of reasons, but this is one of the main ones, was that I was raised in a home where there was a narcissistic person and a predatory person. And I constantly wondered if I was loved and never really felt loved. So when I got to junior high, high school, college and beyond, I didn't know I was doing this. But inside, I was attracting predatory narcissists or narcissistic predators 
because I was thinking, okay, if I could attract these people and I could prove that I am lovable by these people, I could finally prove that I am lovable to a narcissistic predator, predatory narcissist, and therefore I could be worthy. And it hasn't been until the last couple of years where I realized trying to find other predatory people or narcissistic people to love you is first of all, very impossible because they're they tend to be very self-absorbed. Um, but second of all, that's not the way to go about it. Jesus had to complete that incomplete story in me. He had to heal me of that so that I didn't subconsciously continue to pursue that which was bad for me. Okay, so I have a very similar story. And that was one of the things that got highlighted to me is that there was like a five-year-old little girl inside of me who was still trying to resolve Right. That thing I didn't get when I was growing up. And so that was one of the things in your book that just jumped off the page at me. And I think it's such an important thing because I think, I think sometimes people are stuck in these patterns and they don't know it and they don't know why. Yeah, I didn't know I was doing it at all. It's taken years to kind of peel back the layers. I, I wouldn't have been able to say to you, well, you know, I have this incomplete story. So I really like predatory friends. <laughs> right. I could not have said right. that, but it was what I was doing. And if you had said that to me, I would have backed away slowly. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> um, that's weird. Okay. Right. <laughs> right. A little too self-aware. But, <laughs> right. um, yeah, but you're right. I mean, it, I hate to say this because I do believe Jesus makes everything new, but so much of our pain goes back to our childhoods and we do need to visit it. We don't need to stay back there but we do need to visit it and realize why the why of it all. And, you know, you see this too with people who have suffered under um, domestic violence. They might've been raised in a very violent home and they end up choosing someone just like their father or just like their mother. And then they continue to choose people like that. And, and we are so quick to judge, but it's just, they're trying to complete something that didn't get completed. Absolutely. And I have actually said that before. And I always relate it to this journey that I had to discover that I had celiac disease. I had an emergency appendectomy when I was 19. And it turned out I had a healthy appendix. And for the oh, next no, yeah. Well, for the next 21 years, I just kept getting sicker and sicker, but doctors could never find anything wrong with me. And so, you know, I tried to fix it myself. I tried to eat really healthy and I tried to exercise and, you know, I was eating whole grain, wheat, oh my everything. <laughs> oh and no. I, I didn't know that I was actually poisoning myself until by fluke, I found out that I have celiac disease. And that day, I was able to change the way that I was eating. And over the years, my body has been healing. But had I never found out the root problem, I would have never been able to get to that journey of healing. I was doing all the wrong things unknowingly. But like you said, we have got to go back and figure out what is in us that is unresolved that keeps us stuck in this pattern, because we can't move forward until we figure that out. We don't have to stay there, but we got to figure it out. You're right. And it's a gift when you find that out. And oftentimes, here's the other difficult thing is that when we've been harmed in negative community, God often asks us to trust in positive community. 
And that's really hard to do. If you've been harmed, it's hard to walk back into relationship. But the reason I stand before you today, besides, of course, Jesus Christ and everything he's done for me, is those people in the body of Christ who dared to listen, who dared to love me and also help peel away some of the layers I could not see. And we need each other. We will not, I firmly believe, we will never heal in isolation. You can't just lackadaisically sit on a couch and expect healing to come. Just like I can't lackadaisically sit on a couch and expect that I'm going to be in awesome shape. Uh, there involves pursuit. And, you know, even in the scriptures, we're so grace filled that we forget that we're supposed to work out our salvation with fear and trembling that involves action. And so a lot of times God calls us to do the very hard thing. And that is to trust someone who is kind hearted and safe so that they can help us see things that we cannot see. And it's such a gift when those people come into your life. And, you Absolutely. know, I find that even healing from it, you can still sometimes have those triggers where you suddenly feel, even though you're in a healthy relationship, you start to doubt, do I fit here? Do they really like me? Is this mm -hmm. really working? What do you do when the triggers happen? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, for me, I tend to journal about it, pray about it, run through scripture some more and try to figure it out. There's actually a really... Uh, one thing I learned as I wrote the book, there's a whole lot of scripture about relational heartache. And uh, so especially if you're if you just want to start somewhere, just go to the Proverbs because it will help you to discern who's the fool and who's not the fool. Mm. And uh, and that is going to be really helpful to you. Um, but yeah, in this world, Jesus reminds us in this world, we will have tribulation. There will be triggers. But he says, take heart. I've overcome the world. And so that's where have just daring to trust other people, but also asking him to be your strength in this very weak area of your life. I love that. And you're so right. There are so many verses about relational heartache. And it's interesting because you feel like, you know, I hear about there's so many verses about, you know, money or the love of money, or there's so many verses about do not be afraid, all those things. But again, this is one of those situations where people talk about it to one another privately, but it doesn't seem to have as much of a global or overarching present, but I feel like it needs to. It, the time has come. Yeah, because we are, I believe it was in Galatians where Paul talks about take care let, lest you bite and devour one another. And I feel that we're in the age of biting and devouring right now. And we really need a reformation and a revival in our relationships. Oh, you're so right. You are so right. And we could talk about this for forever because it's such an interesting topic. And I feel like there's so many people that need to hear it. But what I'm going to do right now is just suggest that everybody get a copy of the book. It's The Seven <laughs> Deadly Friendships. And then I will put a link to that in the show notes. But I want to move on a little bit, too, because when I first heard your name, Mary DeMuth, I knew it as somebody who coached writers and who had this great nonfiction template that all the publishers loved. <laughs> and so when I was doing some you know, research for this podcast, I realized that you are actually very active in mentoring and helping writers. And I would love for you to talk about your heart for that and kind of why you think mentoring is such a critical need. 
Well, I'll answer with a story. When I was in the very beginnings before I was published, I went to a church potluck of a brand new church that we were attending in the Dallas area. My husband was going to Dallas Theological Seminary. And so anytime there was a potluck, we were all for that because we were poor. Of course. So (laughs) we went to the potluck and this lady sat down next to me and she said to me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I had this like super stressful interior moment where I was like, should I tell her I want to be a writer? Should I say it out loud? You know, I was really grappling with that. And finally I was like, yeah, I want to be a writer. And she turned to me and she said, do you know that one of my passions in life is to mentor new writers? And uh, she turned out to be a professor at Dallas Seminary in the media arts department, a nonfiction and fiction writer, which is what I became, uh, Dr. Sandra Glon. And she just took me under her wing. And so I decided definitely that if there's anything that I can do to help other writers prosper, then I'm going to be doing that. Contrast that with a story I had in the mid nineties when I was really brand new and writing those 10,000 hours that Malcolm Gladwell talks about in the book outliers. I took this woman to lunch and it was a huge sacrifice for me because my kids were young. I had to pay for a sitter. I couldn't afford the lunch, but I did it anyway. And she was a published author and I wanted to know you know, what's the secret? How do I get published? I don't know anything. There was no internet really back then to find these kinds of things out. And she would not tell me. I thought there was like a tricky way to ask the question so that she would answer it correctly, but she just wouldn't. And I made a little vow to myself that if I ever figured it out, I was going to help others. So I mentor people on booklaunchmentor.com. I mainly do it through intensives. I do two in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, one in February and one in July. It's limited to 12 people, so it's really intimate. And then I also do one in October in Geneva, Switzerland, which is so much fun. So that's kind of where I do my mentoring these days. I love that story. And I'm just wondering, like, what was that woman's issue? I mean, did she think that there wasn't enough space for everybody to be an author? I'm pretty sure she had that scarcity mindset that if she gave me the secret, then there would be less for her. But it's not a zero sum game. I mean, there's room for all sorts of people to publish. And these days with self-publishing, there's it, the door has been open wide. So to me, I'm like, why not? Why not help each other? Why not build the kingdom of God together? I remember a story um, of a man who is a pastor in Munich, and I ended up speaking at one of their retreats. And and I asked him about his church and he said, well, the first couple of years I was really stressed out and frustrated. And I said, well, why was that? And he goes, well, we had an international church and all these people would flood in and then they would flood out because they were all these expats and they were going to all over, all over the world. So I could never really grow the church. And he said, but then I came to the point where I realized I am really part of building the kingdom and how cool it is to disciple people who will now go into all the world. And so that's the difference between having a scarcity mindset and a kingdom of God mindset. And I really appreciate that part of of his story. That's such a great way to look at it. Such an interesting thing, because I was actually just reading about Jesus was sending the disciples out two by two. And I was thinking there was a gap there in the time that they should have been with him, but he had sent them out to do the work. And he is sending us out to do the work, but we get to take him with us. And that's such a critical and important difference. But I had somebody give me an example one time. They held up one of those really old phone books. You remember those that were like (laughs) super thick and that people used them for high chairs for their kids? (laughs) 
Um, somebody picked that up and like started flipping through the pages and you could see just tons and tons of names. And like she ripped one of those pages out and she said, this right here is probably the number of people that I will truly reach. Look at the rest of this book. Mm. It's here for you. And that was such a powerful illustration to me. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I think that scarcity mindset is fear-based and it's not true. And the other thing about it, and you talk about this because you're big on telling your story, is that everybody may have a similar story, but no story is exactly the same. And there are people out there that are going to resonate with one woman's story over another's because it's more like theirs. So it's just so important that we all tell the story. Exactly. And I'm going to reach people that you're not going to reach and you're going to reach people that I'm not going to reach. And that's how it works. And that's how it's so cool. And that's how we can be a champion of each other and not feel like, oh, that person has encroached on my territory. I just think that's yucky. And I I just don't want to do that. So have you ever felt like that? I mean, have you ever felt that yucky feeling? And then if you did, how did you handle that? Yeah, I, I have experienced that. And I ended up having to work through a broken friendship because of it. And I think it really was that scarcity mindset of we can't reach uh, our own little demographic. And if you perceive that someone's trying to encroach on your demographic, you're going to get angry. And so, yeah, I have experienced that and it's, it's been hard and I just, because I don't see it that way. And my, Uh, expectation was that everyone would be excited that more parts of God's kingdom were getting out there. So um, yeah, I have experienced it. I mean, I think I have too. And I, I guess the reason that I bring that up is because I feel like if somebody has experienced it or is experiencing that, that in a lot of ways, that's kind of normal. It's how you respond to that. That's the important thing. It's, you know, getting your mind wrapped back around to a kingdom mindset, like you said. Right. And of course, you know, especially in speaking the truth in love, when someone confronts me and tells me something, my initial reaction isn't always awesome in the moment. But um, after a little while, I will be like, okay, <laughs> you're right. And and so I think it's the same way when we're talking about the scarcity versus kingdom mindset or building the kingdom or, you know, if we're running in those circles of quote unquote, famous-ish people. Um, I think that can be a problem for us. Please forgive my dog for barking. That's okay. I think my dog was barking earlier. So (laughs) we're all good. We're just keeping it real over here. (laughs) Well, so you are a mentor and you have book launch mentor and you are a writer of fiction and nonfiction. You're a podcaster. You're a speaker and you're also an artist, a very gifted one. I'm tired after you said all that stuff. Okay, thank you for saying that. I'm so glad that you just said that because I've met so many people that are doing it all. And when I say, like, how are you doing it all? They're like, well, I just have to find balance. And and I think that a lot of their techniques are, you know, they're true. They're, you know, good for them. That's what works for them. But I love that you just said you're tired because I feel like it looks tiring. It's all so good, though. Well, and part of that is I'm honest, just to be really honest, it's an economic thing. I just, in order to be able to make a living at this, I have to have multiple streams of income. And so it is, it's got that economics to it. So it's not like, 
if I could choose, I would just concentrate on one or two things, but I've got to be able to reach bunches of people. Well, that makes a lot of sense. But then that makes me wonder if you had to choose, like what, what would you say out of all the things you do is where your passion is right now? I still really love putting words on the page. So I would, I would default to two things, uh, writing and speaking writing because it's such a beautiful thing. It's artistic for me. And then speaking because I get to see the influence or the impact of those words in that moment. I love it. You're absolutely right. That's such a great kind of way to look at it, that you get to see the impact right in the moment. And hopefully, you know, the impact is good and that people aren't staring back at you and blinking like pigeons, you know. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure that's (laughs) happened to me many times. So, (laughs) Well, you know, it's happened to me too. And I always just have to tell myself that, you know, I'm a shepherd with sheep right now. And there's one person at least that's lost. And I am there to serve that one lost sheep. And so that's kind of how I move past that. I love that. That's really great. So Mary, I would love to ask you these days, there's just a lot of heaviness. There's a lot of just difficulty and struggle kind of going on in the world. And we at Declare really want to have a conversation about what's going on. Right. And so I'm asking everybody now, what are you getting your hopes up about right now? You know, I think for me, even though this is a hard topic, I'm really grateful that we're having the conversation about sexual abuse. And whether it's in the church or outside of the church or whatever, we're, we're talking about it. And that has not been the case. I've been a very lonely voice for many, many years. And so it's been encouraging to me to see people begin to own their stories and talk about it publicly. It's just lovely to see. It's hard, but it's good. Well, it's one area, I think, actually, where women are kind of banding together when they're being torn apart in other ways. So that's interesting. It is a good thing, I think, to kind of get your hopes up about not that it happened, but that we are bringing it into the light and that we are supporting one another. Yeah, it's it's so important. And, you know, that's not to say that we shouldn't be winsome and kind and sweet and discerning and all those kind of things. But uh, yeah, it's an important conversation to have because it just hasn't been had. So it's there's going to be some bumps and bruises along the way. But I think it's good that it's getting out. Oh, you're absolutely right. And I love that you said that there's going to be bumps and bruises along the way, because this is the first time that this kind of movement has ever happened. So people with the very best intentions are not going to do it right 100% of the time. And that's why we have grace. Yes, I'm so glad for grace. So <laughs> I need it every day. For grace. Same, same right here. Well, Mary, I have just loved talking with you today. I, you're so wise and you've got just such a great perspective on so many things that I think women today are really struggling with. And I am so, so grateful for this latest book of yours. And I just know that it's going to really speak to and resonate with a lot of women. So I just want to say thank you for writing that and for being brave enough to do that. And then I just want to thank you for being on the podcast. Well, I so appreciate it. And, you know, people are curious about, well, maybe they're like, I wonder which of my seven deadly friends there are. Um, You can take a quiz at sevendeadlyfriendships.com and you can find out if you are in a relationship. I named them all. So it could be like Narcissist Nolan or Tempter Trevor, Con Man Connor. You can find out, uh, they're not all men. There's Predator Page in there as well. They can find out if they're having a relationship with that to give them some insight. And so that's my hope for the book is just that people will be able to see it as a resource to go, oh, aha, that's why I leave that relationship and I feel really weird afterwards. So that's been my hope. Oh, I love it. And I will put the link to the quiz on the show notes because I think that it's 
you know, like we said, identifying it is the first step toward healing from it. Right. Well, thank you again, Mary. I hope to see you really, really soon. And, you know, we'll have you back on the podcast sometime soon and hopefully back at Declare soon. Yes, I would love it. Sounds great. All right. Thanks so much, friend. Ladies, if you have ever experienced a friendship breakup, then you've got to get Mary's new book. I have read it and I can attest to the fact that it is full of wisdom and aha moments. I mean, you will never do friendship the same. And that is such a good thing. Did you love this episode or another one? Will you let us know? Mention your favorites when you leave a review for the podcast or send us an email or direct messages through Instagram, whatever you got to do. But let us know what you're loving about the podcast because we want it to serve you. So give us some feedback. Let us know. What do you want to hear more of? What do you want to hear less of? Who do you really want to hear from? We are excited to have those conversations with you so we can put those conversations on here. So if you also want to sponsor this podcast, you do not have to be a big corporation or ministry. I mean, maybe you're launching a book. I promise we have affordable sponsorship options for you. So if you're interested in being a sponsor, send us an email to info at declareconference.com and we will get back to you as soon as we can. Well, as always, we hope every episode of the Declare podcast inspires and encourages you. Thank you so much for always listening, and we'll see you next time on the Declare Podcast.